welcome to episode 56 of The Dive Down, Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike. Focus on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in both modern and pioneer. My name is Zach, here in Chicago. With me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the man who went west, Shane Beeps. This week, I'll be playing the role of Stanislav. I'll be talking about all my favorite is it cards, all my favorite cantrips, card draw spells, and bad burn spells. Quite the understudy. Also with us here in Chicago, here a card, there a card, everywhere a card card, it's Dave Harbarger. I couldn't find any one mana spells to talk about this week. Are you going to be okay? I'm heartbroken. You're getting <laughs> priced out of the format. You're harb broken. Bring back one mana spells. Actually, don't bring them back. Stan, our frequent intro man, is out this week. He's cycling the frozen canals of Amsterdam. I believe he's trading for a biathlon. Hold on, like like the one with like the skiing and the shooting? Oh, no, no, no. You bicycle to a magic tournament, and then you play in the magic tournament. Isn't that what he does every week? Yeah, but this time it's for real. I thought he usually skateboarded to a magic tournament and then played in it. Uh, Dave, longboarded, please. He's grinding the entire way and then finishes off with a misty flip. Grinding tournaments and grinding rails. Stan, we miss you, buddy. There's a lot of rails to grind in Amsterdam, by the way. I don't know if you've all ever been there or seen pictures or stuff. There's a lot of of rails. What an informative podcast we are. Did you know that this city's tagline is maximum grindage? Amsterdam. Dave, are you reading a Wikipedia article right now? I am. About the grind history of Amsterdam? Yeah. It's like five tabs down. If Stan collects all four letters of his name while grinding, he gets the 100-point bonus. That's not the dream. Moving on to today's episode, in the breakdown, we'll be covering the top eight results from both GP Austin and SCG Knoxville. No, we're not. We're really not going to talk about him that much. But Shane wrote so many notes. I know, but guess what happened? It's a Monday, and we have enormous bands to talk about in modern. Yeah, I feel like a real Garfield right now. You know what I'm saying? Your uh, large orange cat loves lasagna? So after we talk about uh, the bands that happen today in Modern, we will go to our dive down. And this week, we have our second and final Theros Beyond Death picks to click. Uh, the full spoiler came out a couple days ago, and so we have some more thoughts to share. And also, Shane wasn't here last week, so I'm sure he has some corrections on the cards that Zach and I picked last week to issue. Dear sirs, again, you pick red cards when clearly the choice is multicolor. <laughs> And finally, as part of our spoilers, we have something fun to add with a contribution from the amazing members of the Dive Down Nation Slack group who took it upon themselves to offer their thoughts about what cards to sleeve, believe, and heave from Theros Beyond Death. And so we will be sharing that with everybody here. And also special thanks to KZ, one of the longest members of the Dive Down Nation, for putting this together and sharing the results with us. Yeah, along with awesome stuff like a you know insider survey that KZ puts together, we are always having awesome chat. Band day is one of the best days to be in the Slack because the the channel is just full of many people are typing kind of messages. I went to a meeting this morning at about nine right after the band announcement came out and came back an hour and fifteen minutes later and missed three hundred messages in <laughs> in the channel. I was like, cool, never going to catch up on that. Yeah, so if you want to uh, join the super secret Slack server, you want to join the Dive Down Nation, uh, helps keep us going, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down, all one word. Join the Dive Down Nation. We have sweet benefits to offer to patrons at various tiers. We always appreciate everyone who wants to join, keep us going, and uh, engage with us every day, basically. So once again, shout out to our patrons who did this awesome little survey for us, and we are so excited to share the details afterwards. But moving on to some housekeeping. Thank you to Mark, 
Y, or Vi, as I'll pronounce it, Phil Boy, or Phil Bo, for two. Phil, Phil Bo Baggins, I think. I thought, I was hoping it was a Pill Boy reference out the good place, but maybe Phil Boy Baggins is also good. And then finally, Maynard, 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 for their awesome reviews on Apple Podcast. We're really appreciative. It helps people find the podcast, gets the word out about the questionable humor that we put out here. But thank you for leaving us a review. It's really edgy. It's (laughs) It's mostly me just saying Blake Bortles a lot. One of the reviews was a few laughs and a few groans. And I felt very noticed in that review. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally fair. Uh, We're also brought to you in part by Mana Traders, the best way to rent cards on Magic Online. We use it. We love it. Don't get caught holding banned cards in your digital collection. Swap decks at will. You know, if you got caught with banned cards, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't want to throw anything on top of there. But I do love Mana Traders so that I can just play whatever deck I want, whatever I want to. Get 15% off your first three months by using the sign-up code, the dive down, all one word, lowercase. And now we're going to move on to the breakdown to talk about a bunch of tournaments that don't matter for a couple minutes before we get to the meat of the matter. They don't don't matter. Yeah, it's, it's contextually inf- inf- important. <laughs> they maybe don't do matter either. They don't do <laughs> not. Hey, I'm the guy with the triple negatives, I thought. Hey, listen, buddy. <laughs> All right, so we had a pretty awesome weekend for Modern coverage because hot on the heels of the Team Modern Open last weekend, SEG had another regular old Modern Open in Knoxville. And along with that, for some reason, we had the return of Magic Fest coverage by Channel Fireball. They they blessed us all with some Twitch streaming from Austin, uh, unfortunately, for a somewhat dead format now because Modern just got smacked with three really big bands we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes. It makes all the information that we can get from these tournament results somewhat useless, but at least gives us some context for the bands, I guess. Out of respect for these events and the people who succeeded in them, we'll hit some top eight data pretty quickly. So first, we'll go into GP Austin, where we had uh, Chris Kendreva on Simic Titan Field. We had Ian Burrell on Jund, out of the blue. Uh, we had Evan Teachworth on Bant Urza. These Bant Urza decks were somewhat new to me, um, but they're essentially the Simic Urza decks that splash white for maybe like a main deck Teferi Time Raveler, but it's mostly that and some Path to Exile in the side. Uh, Marcus Long was on Bant Urza. Oliver Tamika was on Teamer Urza. Andrew Wolbers was on Team Rapunza. Brendan Cohen was on Sultai Urza. Tad McGregg was on Kethis Combo, also running some Okos. Uh, Chris Kandreva on Titan Field ended up winning over Marcus Long on Bant Urza. So congrats to Chris. Uh, My understanding was it was his first GP Top 8 and also must be his first win. So awesome work. Next up, we have the SCG Knoxville Open. Aaron Barich was on Golgari Yogmoth. What? Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about this just after we get through the top eight because it's a pretty interesting build. She took the whole thing down. Congratulations to her. Christopher Gooch was on Mono Green Devotion. A pretty sweet looking what? list for late for, for Leyline of Abundance. <laughs> of course, some Once Upon a Time, some Vivian Arcbow Rangers, Karn the Great Creator. Pretty cool list. Uh, Drake Sasser. Do you think Christopher was responsible for one of the bands that happened today? Hmm. Hmm. I, I don't know if he he was responsible. No, personally, individually, he personally he played his he played his own part. He played his heart out, Dave. Um, Drake Sasser was on Band Snowblade. Corey Baumeister on Teamer Urza. Daryl Ayers on Sultai Urza. Will Pilliam on Amulet Titan. Edgar Magalles on Sultai Urza and Vincent Daniels on Sultai Urza. So what a stacked top eight! Yeah, murderers row of SEG names. 
I saw somebody tweet that four of the people in this top eight made the top four the week before in Columbus. Hmm. Wait a minute. <laughs> four of the people made the top four? Four of these people from the, the Knoxville Open were people who were in the top four last week in Columbus, supposedly. The teams, the teams. So four of the t- four of the 16, four of the 12. Yeah, exactly. Repeated. Pretty dope. We got a lot to talk about in a minute, but I think before we move on to the massive changes that happened in the uh, the modern formats Monday morning, we need to stop and talk about one very cool new deck that appeared this weekend, and that's the deck that was called Golgari Yogmoth. Now, we're not talking about Urborg, the tomb of Yogmoth. We're not talking about the will of Yogmoth here. We're just talking about Yogmoth himself. And that was the deck that Aaron Barich was playing. And she explained how the deck operates. It's also a deck that Tom Ross was playing at this tournament and was playing, uh, has been playing online a little bit. So it's something that's been brewing here and there over um, over the last couple of weeks. But everybody's been paying attention to Urza for so long that nobody's been paying attention to his nemesis, Yogmoth Thran Physician. Okay, so let's start with the namesake card itself, Yogmoth Thran Physician, Doctor Yog, as I like to call him, Doctor Y. Costs two colorless, black, black. So it's four CMC for a legendary creature, human cleric. It is a two, four, and it has protection from humans. The next ability it has is pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card. And then the last ability it has is black, black, discard a card, proliferate. So kind of a dense... Uh, amount of abilities on there but basically what you do with this deck is the core of the deck is built around using yogmothran physician in conjunction with creatures with undying undying is a really weird mechanic from dark ascension i believe where basically a creature comes into play if it has undying when it dies it comes back to the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it so it's sort of like reverse uh reverse persist is that the ability that kitchen finks has so and if it has a plus one plus one counter on it when it dies it goes to the graveyard permanently so what you do is you know you play your young wolf you play your strangle root geist and most importantly you play your Geralt's messenger you bring it back into play and then with the um with the pay a life ability from yogmoth you can remove a plus one plus one counter on it by putting a minus one minus one counter on it and draw a card and then your creature just kind of gets to come back and sometimes what you can do as part of this is you sacrifice one of your undying creatures to take a minus one minus one count or plus one plus one counter off of one of your other undying creatures and get some kind of crazy looping stuff going on so what this leads to are a bunch of kind of synergistic combos in your deck and also to uh, a lot of card draw so if you have two undying creatures out with yogmoth you can have them target each other and move the counters back and forth which makes yogmoth basically become yogmoth's bargain which is pay one life and draw a card yogmoth's bargain by the way in case people forgot was basically a really expensive reprint of a necropodence hmm. also girl's messenger once you get it going if your life total is above the opponent's and you have another undying creature out Geralt can just be looped and make the opponent lose two life over and over again so they take two life you take one life and then it just kind of goes down from from there with two Geralt's out the opponent's life total can be half the opponent's plus one so the this is mostly the way that the decks tries to win yeah so 
basically if you have just one Geralt, like so if you're at 19 and they're at 18, you're both losing two life. But since you have more than them, you stay alive. But if you have two Geralt, you can have like 10 and they could have 19. And then you can just win from there because you're losing only one life. So also you have blood artist that comes in and things like that. They can help you gain some life and lose some life as well. So just as a reminder, in case it's a little confusing as to why this works, you know, when an undying creature dies, like I said, it comes back into play with a plus one plus one counter on it. The, the way that the rules and magic work is that if you put a minus one minus one counter on a creature that has a plus one plus one counter, the counters just cancel each other out. It's kind of like matter and antimatter in Star Trek. And they just turn <laughs> into zero, right? And so what happens is you keep removing this counter from the creature over and over again, or two creatures, and pass the counters back and forth. And um, that just lets you kind of go infinite with having creatures come back out of the graveyard. The main thing that's that's important here is that Yogmoth's uh, sacrifice ability does not have a mana cost associated with it. So once you have this set up, and if your life is in an advantageous position, you can just go ahead and do this a ton of times, draw a bunch of cards, and kind of go on your merry way. Hopefully you just kill them with uh, comes into play triggers somehow. The other thing that happens is sometimes you just beat down with this deck because you have a bunch of undying creatures which are kind of hard to deal with. You draw some value off of Yogmoth with some smart sacrificing. You just move on from there. The other thing is that it has a lot of creature-seeking tech with things like Court of Calling and Once Upon a Time and Eldritch Evolution. So it kind of has the full suite of green creature uh, tutor cards that are available right now. And you also ramp ramp stuff out with Wall of Roots and Birds of Paradise. Yeah, and Undying Creatures are really good to hit with Eldritch Evolution because it's going to pop right back onto the board stronger than ever because you sacrifice them to Eldritch. Right, so you can Eldritch an Undying Creature away and then um, get Yawgmoth, right? And then potentially kill your Bird of Paradise to get the first counter off of your Undying Creature and maybe get going with a bunch of stuff like, like that. So it's definitely a cool deck I'd like to try really soon. It totally missed all the bands. So um, I think it's possible that it's still going to be powerful. Yeah. If, so if we count up our top eights, going back to those really quickly, in our final Oko Watch segment. Oko Watch 2019 to 2020, we hardly knew you. We see, 20, we see 26 copies of Oko in the top eight at Austin and 20 Oko in the top eight in Knoxville, which kind of leads us neatly into the banned and restricted announcement. Zach's favorite day. I am overcome with joy. Zach got three-fifths of what he was looking for today. I have shed my earthly coil. I have lost my latest. And by that, I mean I put it into an EDH deck. But ultimately, I am elated. Opal, shattered. They have banned Moxed Opal. Oko, Oak obliterated. Oko's gone. Latest, locked out of the format. <laughs> we have seen three cards gone. Non-joke format. Mox Opal, Oko, the three-drop. Prankster? Trickster? What's his name? Oko, Three of Crons, gone from the format. And then, perhaps the most mysterious or out-of-left-field pick, Mycosynthletus, also banned. The only card I've ever owned banned for Modern. That's shocking. That's the only card you've ever had that's been banned? I have had Ramanop Ruins banned in Standard when I played that in Standard, but that's hardly the same thing. Wow. All right, well, let's let's motor through a little bit what... what Watsy said about these particular bands. I think we all kind of know what was going on. Maybe we could spend a little bit more time on the lattice one, but so the usual stuff, they, they gave us some explanation for what they're doing and base Simic decks using Urza 
have, of course, been at the top of the competitive modern metagame. They say that, you know, they're getting the most 5-0 trophies. They have a non-mirror match percentage of over 55%, getting in that high 50s that we know is a danger zone. Um, of course, also, they have a winning matchup against nine of the other 10 most popular competitive decks, which uh, says that metagame can't adjust on its own. What was that deck that ha- that was okay? I'm guessing Devoted Druid guessing yeah they didn't name it i would love to know what deck is the one favorable matchup <laughs> because oh hold on does this mean that they're they consider there to be 11 tier one decks i think maybe they they did yeah okay that's interesting to read we'll see what happens tomorrow but i mean yeah. it was just a nice a nice number there probably nine out of ten sounds pretty dramatic i love 11 <laughs> I think they started with the meta share and kind of went, hey, deck number two and meta share. Are you winning against it? No. no. Deck number three, yeah, deck no. Number three meta they had to go all the way down to deck number 10. Black Red Goblins is just crushing it for yeah. whatever reason. So, and they, they said the cards that are contributing, strongly contributing to the high win rate of these decks are Oko, Thief of Crowns, and Mox Opal. So, it's going to Oko, right? It's Watsi says it's the most played card in competitive modern. About 40% of decks in recent league play and tabletop tournaments have Oko. It's a lot. Um, and so that, you know, it has the reducing metagame diversity issue and diversity of gameplay patterns issue. And so they wanted to weaken Urza decks and other top decks that are just shoving Oko in there. They are banning Oko Thief of Crowns. There you go. I think that this was pretty hard to argue with. I mean, everybody has kind of said for a while that Oko's showing up too many places. I think we've all seen the myriad of decks that it's been jammed into. And um, love the card, hate the card. It's tough when it's it's showing up in 40% of decks. And things like meme decks like uh, Mono Red Burn plus Oko are out there 5-0-ing occasionally as well, just for the lols. <laughs> Zach, what's your take? Huh. I mean, I have not liked this card since the very get-go. I'm happy to see it go ultimately. We'll, we'll have to see how things adjust. And I had made the comment, um, I think even last episode, about how I wasn't seeing that much Oko in my local scene and you know, mean stance that there are a few players. In the last modern, in the last two modern legal tournaments I participated in, I saw more Okos than I ever saw Hogak, than I ever saw KCI, etc. Like this did reach this like LGS level before it got removed. So I'm happy for it. I'll look forward to seeing where the meta evolves. I think this is only a net positive for modern. Sure. Unfortunately, I think you're right, even though I have a playset of them and I liked playing with the card. Um, In your basement when you did? Yeah, mostly online this time, but... Oh. What's interesting to me about Oko is that I think people, I think high-level players kind of liked it because it was it was very much a, a place for people to kind of showcase their skill level. You know, those these near mirrors where their deck building nuances and their gameplay is kind of what led to a win. But I think for the majority of the player base, Oko was kind of seen as like a boring nuisance that consolidated strategies and were they were so powerful that there was little choice but to play those strategies and so i think that losing oko is going to bring bring back uh, a wider variety of of play at the at the lgs and the tournament level which then trickles down to the lgs level i think in a lot of ways yeah i think it's interesting we talked about this a couple of times over the last month or so where innovation was happening but it was all finding ways to warp existing archetypes into being able to run oko 
And so basically what's happening is that everybody is running the Oko sub game, right? Like if my plan doesn't yeah. work, then I've got Oko as a backup and it's enough to kind of win me the game or stall the game long enough for me to be able to do what I got to do to win with my main plan. Um, and so it, that was kind of interesting to watch happen. I always think it's interesting too when big, when pros are kind of like, but the deck building nuances were so great. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's so tough because you know, the weird thing about magic is that we have people who are super pro level uh, participating with people who are total amateurs all the time, right? And oftentimes they end up playing against each other. And so it's hard to be kind of like, oh, I love the fact that you only cooked this souffle an extra three minutes and it put the right. perfect crust on the top when everybody else is just like, I freaking hate souffle. Yeah. You yeah. know, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic that we have with this game. No, totally. And like the similar thing where it's like, this is like actually a 360 gram vinyl and like the sound quality is unparalleled. It's like, I don't like free jazz music. I don't know what you want me to say to you right now. Yeah. Please take this John Zorn record off. <laughs> I will do anything for you to get this out of my sight. <laughs> One final parting thought with Oko is that uh, Evan Irwin today tweeted the number of days that Oko was legal in each format. It was legal for 45 days in standard, which is wild, six weeks. It was legal for 73 days in Pioneer, and then it was legal for 101 days in Modern, not even three months in Modern. And two of those weeks were over the holidays where there's not really a <laughs> lot going on, you know? So, wow. What we mistake. hardly knew ye. Moving on to a band that I have longed for since I traded my playset away for $40, Mox Opal is gone from the format. So to quote Wizard of the Ghost, our data indicates that removing Oko alone would still leave Urza decks in a dominant position in the metagame. We considered options that would further weaken Urza-based artifact decks, while still allowing for decks based around that general strategy. Ultimately, we determined that banning Mox Opal was the correct option. Hallelujah. I have talked about this before. Any broken artifact-based deck in Modern always has this card in it. It is appearing time and time again when people are doing things that push magic to its very edge and really break the game. That being said, I don't think Affinity is like had to be banned or had to be hurt in this way. I think that was a fine deck, like I mentioned before. We'll see if any sort of artifact aggressive build can still exist. I'll be surprised, but not. it's not impossible to me. But this card going is shutting off a lot of broken decks, but sort of taking a few casualties along with it, a la Faithless Looting. Yeah, Mox Opal probably should have seen a ban a few years ago. It's just been living on borrowed time for an awfully long time. And, and Watsi made this ban now to weaken these Urza decks because I think they assumed that when this happened, Urza would just come back and be the de facto best deck around. The, the combo, uh, Thopter, Sword, Urza type deal but i'm not convinced that mox opal being gone is enough to really keep urza from being still a really solid deck i think we'll have to see what things end up looking like but largely like you said zach it's you know it's the zero mana cost it's the fact that there's so many enablers to get artifacts back out of the graveyard there's a lot of weird loops that can still generate mana it's it's just a card that can do too much and fast mana in general is something that is better left out of most formats so probably time so let's talk about micah synth lattice now let's let's so here's what watsi had to say Lastly, we'd like to take this opportunity to address another problematic interaction between Karn the Great Creator and Mycosynth Lattice. 
All right. Very interesting way that they brought up this statement where they're kind of like, while we have the microphone, we just have one more yeah. thing to say. No, no. Sorry. I, I know it's your turn next. I have one more thought before I leave. Yeah. It's like Steve Jobs walking off stage and he reaches in his pocket and pulls out Micah Synth Lattice and rips it up <laughs> and then walks off. Looking for this? Whoa! So what they said really was decks featuring this combination often win in other ways. The deck building cost to include this interaction is low, causing it to show up more often than as fun and competitive play. As a result, we are going to ban Microsynth Lattice. The primary motivation for this last change is the unfun play pattern. We also intend for this to be a small but meaningful balance change to Eldrazi and other Tron decks. We feel this is warranted based on popularity and strength of those decks in the metagame. So this one to me was really kind of surprising, but I was pretty stoked about it, honestly, because I just have always felt like there's something different about this combination where it just was kind of <laughs> like you feel so helpless and you there's you literally can't do anything, but you also don't always lose right away. And so sitting there just totally locked out of the game is really awful. There's no way to come back from it. It makes everything in your deck worthless. It just felt like a real really kind of unfun thing to be on the other side of. And the bigger problem with it was, and I know this has gone out of Vogue lately, but for a while there, it was popping up in all kinds of decks, right? Sure. There was a Ponza deck the other night that was running, or in the the Grand Prix that was running the uh, Karn package as part of its part of its two Karnza, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in uh, devoted that devoted Druid deck that did well just last week, where they just have something to do with all that mana. It was in the Green Devotion deck as another thing to do with a bunch of mana. That was in the top eight of the uh, SCG. I think the G, yeah, the SCG. So it's just it's kind of a it's a it's a feel bad cheesy win that I myself have won with a number of times. It's not fun to face down, like Dave said. Um, Zach, what do you think? That this you you run you run prison decks, and so this card hits probably more, most close to home for you. How are you feeling? So I haven't been playing this card for a little bit in my personal red prison deck because Oko sort of made the strategy not so good. So literally everyone knew Oko, or not knew, but felt deep in their bones that Oko was going today. This was more of a wild card. So a lot of people were like, Zach, you gonna bring prison out again? Like, is it time for prison? I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Then it was, oh, uh, hmm, uh. So Prison was a deck before this. It'll be a deck after this. Aldrossi Tron was a deck before this. It'll be a deck after this. But how these decks shake out and if they run any Karn at all anymore is the question. I think that this is probably a good thing overall. I'm not going to act like I think this was a fair thing to do. I think it was very unfair. But all these bands, and especially this last one, really signify how Wizards is drawing the line in terms of power level in Modern. And how, like I mentioned last week, what they ban upcoming is really dictating and showing us what they want modern to be. And they don't want things like this in modern, right? Like they don't want fast mana, mox opal nonsense. They don't want lattice. And in general, Wizards is saying that we want modern to be a little more fair than it was. You can still do broken stuff. Simeon Spirit Guide isn't banned. Storm's not banned, et cetera, et cetera. But there's limits to how silly you can get with it. So I don't think prison was the reason that this card got banned, obviously, in regards to the latest, but it's okay that prison can't do this either. And just in general, it's okay that things like this got banned. I personally am out like $40, but that's okay. Like that's the price you pay. And like I had $40 of fun with it. So what are you going to do? I want to talk about one more note in this BNR announcement because Watsi did something I haven't really seen them do too much. And they talked about a card before it's even released. And so they said, 
we are also aware of the community buzz, aka <laughs> Twitter crap, aka the dive down bump <laughs> around the combination of Heliod, Sun Crowned, and Walking Ballista in Pioneer. They heard Stan's assessment of it last week on the spoiler episode. And we're exactly. like, Morrow dropped his Ugh. Ruben on Rye and said, What? <laughs> so basically they said we're going to let the pioneer metagame prove itself through play results we're not going to take any preemptive action against this combination if after the P- pioneer players tour and grand prix tournaments uh, those are coming up in february the results of league and tournament play bear out that this combination is a long-term threat we'll consider changes at that time so they went on record to say hey look we're not going to take preemptive action against this combo which I thought was kind of fascinating. Like it's already on their watch list. Is it something that they missed in development or are they just kind of saying, Hey, look, we hear you. We're aware of this. We'll see how it actually happens in real life. I prefer this method of communication. Quite honestly, I, I like this as opposed to just putting it out there and then later going it's banned. Cause then people go, do they not know? Could they not have seen it? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's nice to be like, Hey, we know it's really powerful, but is it too powerful is the question. Combo decks get to exist. You just don't get to be incredibly consistent and straightforward. So I like this comment. I want more comments like this. I want more communication like this. I like to know what they are aware of because I think it helps inform speculation and future decisions on my part. I also think that part of what they're trying to do is uh, let people know that they're not terrible at their job. Right, that they're like, hey, we, <laughs> we make, get it. By the way, yeah. yeah, we're not dumb. We get it. We, we make the cards. <laughs> we, we make cards, and we make yeah. good cards. And yeah. sometimes good cards are good with other good cards. It's called the combination. Yeah, we know them better than you. You know, is I think part of what they're trying to say. So, I, I thought from that messaging aspect, it was kind of interesting as well because that they were kind of going on offense here a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think we should just spend a few minutes talking about what we think is going to be better now. What was this opening up? And I think people have been really afraid maybe of how good Titan decks are going to be right now. We have, we have turn, f- turn five Titans due to Castle Garenbrigger, even sooner than t- turn five. We have five mana Titans, which can be ramped out pretty quickly. We have turned three Titans from a deck that I saw posted up today. I know. I, I think that other mid-range decks are probably going to be a lot better. Uh, they can run Thoughtseize and, and Land Hate and not automatically lose just the, the sheer value that Oko and Urza offer. Um, burn and prowess probably just because what do you think Dave I mean I think the number one thing that I take from this is at least as far as the decks that are now back in the options kind of area for me is that I think prowess and burn are both something I'm going to be looking at you already saw a bunch of players kind of day two with prowess at the SCG event over the weekend and I think that now there's even a better chance that it, it could be okay um, without Oko there gaining life constantly I also feel like there might be a little bit of a chance for Stoneforge Mystic to reassert itself as a sort of option for non-green-black mid-range decks. Oko sort of, in my mind, took that slot over from a, a few of those decks, in particular things like the Bant Control List that got popular for a little bit that was just kind of blue-white control running Oko and um, Ice Fan Coatl, you know, that could stay... Uh, a, a snowblade kind of deck which has also been a little bit popular lately blue white control might go back to a just blue white deck that's running stoneforge mystic instead as it's kind of finisher and so i think that there's a chance that stoneforge comes back a little bit now and uh, i'm not sure if that's going to have it take a top slice of the metagame but i think you know without oko there there's a good chance that batter skull is still good what do you think zach anything you're you're looking at or you think that's going to be something that you want to keep your eye on for 
for playing in a league? Sure. So I'm going to echo what Dave said, and I think that definitely burn aggro decks are going to be good. So I think that I have two tidbits, and that's either one, go fast, or two, uh, come with disruption pact. Because I think that right now we're in a place where you either need to race or then like say, whoa, 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 hold on, my thing now. So I think Blood Moon is really, really well positioned right now, maybe more so than it's been in a really long time. If we see a meta where there is a lot of Titan and other big mana decks around, Blood Moon's good, but you do need a quick Blood Moon sometimes. So that's not an all the time thing. And, you know, you can't disrupt it. And Magus is better sometimes. But in general, if you can mess with people's lands and can do it in a way that also furthers your strategy, I would do that and consider doing it main board. That's why I'm here to announce that in my mono red prowess deck, I'm going to run four Simeon Spirit Guides starting there now. There we go. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> you got to be fast. Cool. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Awesome. So they banned. We talked about it. And a certain someone, maybe on this call, lost 1K in risky speculation. I, I was told they were good bonds. Your bonds went bad, too? I, they were tied up in Oko's. They're, they're all elk features, Dave. What can I say? Oh, that's too bad. The market was hot, and I was hot. Yeah, didn't get out in time. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will finish our Theros picks to click. So stay with us. So we are back, and we are back with a dive down with part two of our Theros picks to click. Theros Beyond Death, that is. The one that I'm on, the better one. Theros Beyond Shane. The squeakle. And we will start with a card that I have just, hold on everybody real quick. I have now officially pre-ordered this card, everybody, live on the air. And it's Shadow Spear. Shane is shaking his head, and he will be proven wrong by history yet again. Shadow Spear is a one mana legendary artifact equipment. Its text reads, equip creature gets plus one, plus one, and trample, and lifelink? Three abilities, kinda. It also has this other ability, one mana of any color, permanents your opponent's control, lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. It has an equip cost of two mana. Shane, you're a little bullish on this one. Why aren't you into this card? It's equipment. Hmm. Okay, well, so I think this is really one of the best equipment we've seen in a very long time. Probably at maybe a similar level to Embercleave. I personally think this might be a little better than Embercleave. This is one mana all the time. Embercleave is sometimes six mana. I know that's not how you judge a card across the board, but this can fit into a wider range of decks. And I think I'm really excited for this card. I think this card's pretty undervalued currently. So how do you how do you value it? What do you see it going into? How do you want to use it? So what I want to do is put this on a Rival Master right? Play this turn one, get a Rabmaster down, conceivably turn two or three, and then put it on right afterwards. So it's getting you a ton of life, doing a ton of damage, and then sticks around. So I think this in sort of any sort of attrition, gruel, aggro-based deck, do a lot of damage. I think even in mid-range, put this on a Goif, that's pretty solid. Like, Goifs are hard to trade with, getting some good damage, be hard to deal with. Trample and Lifelink are two really good abilities. Sure, but you have to, like, fit this into your deck... And then, you know, equip it on your on your creature. And I'm not sure that this, you know, like the only creature, the only, only equipment we've really seen do a lot of work in, in modern at all is the swords. And they have a they have a tutor attached to them now with Stoneforge Mystic. I mean, they have a tutor attached to them with this, too. Ever think about that, Shane? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> and I just don't think this is worth tutoring up. I think I'm getting real sweaty over there, huh, Shane? 
I mean, what I think surprising to me, Zach, and I'm, I'm not trying to uh, to disagree with you here or, or belittle your your choice in any way, but I think that you're seeing it as like a, I'm, I'm going to run this main deck as just for value, versus I think a lot of people are looking at it as the one mana activated ability of permanence you your opponent's control losing Hexproofing and Destructible being the important part. Sure, and that's a pretty unique rare ability. I when this card came out, I was like, that text doesn't look very familiar because it's really only on kind of two other cards. Really, one is an eight mana green creature from the previous Thero set, and uh, you know that's not really something that people are typically doing, and that's only creatures. And then there's also a green enchantment from Oath that can cause creatures to lose hexproof via an activated ability, but once again, only creatures. So this one's all permanence, right? And there's really only one other thing that grants the ability to remove hexproof, and that's an artifact called Glaring Spotlight. We don't need to super go into this. It's a really weird card from the second Ravnica, but this is a unique effect. This is a really effect that doesn't have no card has all these things together the way this does and gets to do it for such a small cost. Yeah. So that's how I'm kind of looking at it as like the it's I see it less than a, than a piece of equipment and more like an artifact that has a cool activated ability that lets you remove some like very annoying keywords on the other side of the battlefield. And like the equipment is like this little piece of salami that a cat can have as a treat. To me, it is a baby. It walks on a Warhammer. You shouldn't give cats salami. That's bad of you. I made that up. I don't know if that's true. It, it is most you certainly have it as a bad. Treat. It's bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a treat. Listen, what beer's good for you, Dave? Get real. Come on. Oh, you're right again. <laughs> so, Shane, I think you're totally right, but I think why this card is good is because both our opinions are correct and it offers both things. Like it's not like when it's equipped you can't use its ability or after you use it you sacrifice it or it falls off. It has this stat bump and sometimes you just get this bonus from it. So, maybe it's not main deck all the time. I can accept that, but I think that it offers what it does at such a very low rate and such a low opportunity cost that there's a lot of fun creatures to put this card on. Like, 1-1 one, one Trample Lifelink matters for a lot of things. Like, put this on a freaking Gurmag Angler, why not? You got a 6-6 six, six Lifelink Trampler. You got a fish in your face. Yeah, I think that that's kind of where I'm at with the card is that it is a very low cost for basically three different things, right? One is, if for some reason you want to try to get Lifelink on a big creature to be able to outrun an aggro deck this can be a tool that helps you with that. If for some reason you want to, you need to trample over things because you're playing uh, against a go wide deck, say, and someone's going to keep blocking you and you have big threats, you can trample. And then finally it has that last activated ability where you can get it gods and other things that have hex proof and indestructible soul flare, things like that. Maybe it opens up a door for that. So I do feel like as a piece of sideboard tech in certain metagames, it's something that can be around and in the right deck, maybe you run a couple of them main deck. I, I will say this is not a card I'm looking at for, for modern really at all. It's definitely a card I'm looking at for pioneer would be kind of like my feeling as far as this goes. So I'd be surprised honestly, if it's seen main deck, even in, in pioneer, but I do think like Dave said, I think there are some sideboard applications. Um, this is the only card I've pre-ordered in my entire life. And I did it on air Whoa. for the nation. And you're telling me I did it wrong. Shane, I can't take it back. That's okay. I mean, I know that you'll run it because you like it. And that's a very important I thing. I run it because I love it because I have to. <laughs> 
I think it's I think that, you know, if Soul Flare is is around a ton, it's a very good pioneer deck. I think it's being kind of slept on right now. Uh, I think that this would be something that has a as a place in a lot of people's sideboards. It's it's colorless, it's cheap, it has a powerful ability, it's a novel ability, like you pointed out. I think it's good. One for home, one for work, one for the car. All right. Let's go to my uh my first pick. Last week, you guys took some of the ones that I would have, uh, which is good on you. I think oh, they're very sorry, important to talk Shane. about. Uh, we're not here to re-legislate the past. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think a card that people are kind of sleeping on is Nylea Keen-Eyed. Okay. She is a three and a G for a legendary enchantment creature god, uh, five, six, power, toughness, indestructible. As long as your devotion to green is less than five, Nylea isn't a creature. Creature spells you cast cost one uh, generic mana less to cast her activated ability is two and a g that's it there's no tapping anything like that reveal the top card of your library if it's a creature card put it into your hand otherwise you may put it into your graveyard and so i think that she's being a little overlooked right now but that she fits right in to the green based creature decks in pioneer because uh, those right now are primarily mono green stompy, mono green devotion, right? And so if you're keeping close eyes on Pioneer right now, you may have noticed that Stompy is an up and coming deck. It has as much meta share as like Is It Phoenix and Sultai Dredge right now. So it's a popular strategy. It's doing well. Um, Stompy is really creature based. Devotion leans more on the fi- finishing power of like the walkers like Vivian, Arco Ranger, and Nissa, who shakes the world. So first takes on this. What do you guys, what's your guys' initial reaction? I was surprised when you had this on the sheet, and I'm very looking forward to being convinced by this is good. I'm sure you know more than you're way more plugged into Pioneer than I am. I really just jam mono red decks and tune for what I see, and I think you're a little more plugged into what's going on. But I wonder why a card like Duskwatch Recruiter isn't better than this, right? You see more cards, it costs less to activate. Is it that they're often a god and that the draw effect happens to be secondary? Weirdly, Duskwatch Recruiter, when it's flipped, also reduces your cost to cast creature spells. But this does both, you say. Yeah, it's it's a it's a total package. It's a fact that it's indestructible. It's a fact that it's uh easily uh becomes a creature with the really low really low devotion of only being five. Not with Shadow Spear out, it's not indestructible. Now with Shadow Spear. Now it's had a Shadow Spear activated. Okay, so the devotion requirement being five is kind of the first thing. It's really easy to manage in these uh, mono green decks because you have like things like Surferin, you have Steel Leaf Champion, you have Yorvo. They have a ton of pips. They're going to enable her as this instruct- indestructible five six really easily on turn four. Like she's going to come down and beyond. Here's one thing that I think is a little weird about this particular point with this card is that she does not re- reduce the casting cost of a lot of cards in the deck that she wants to be in because there are so many green pips i thought the, uh, the same thing as well but there are a lot of colorless pips still required what's the math shane run the simulations calculate for me so she also synergizes really well with the nykthos mana you have available to you in these decks so like in, in the in a even a reasonable case scenario you can really imagine using your activated ability a couple times in a turn you're digging for more creatures or you're filtering your draws you want to keep building up your board and applying pressure when you're ahead and that also really meshes nicely with that cost reduction on the creatures because then you can just deploy your hand onto the battlefield uh, when you want and so the main consideration, of course, is what is this going to replace in these style of decks? I, I think in Mono Green Stompy, the four drop right now is Surak the Hunt Color. 
And he's a 5-4, can give haste to a creature if you have more than 8 power on a board, right? I think Nylea can have some space alongside Surak in that 4-slot, offers some ability to recover when you're behind better than a Surak can, filters the top of your deck in longer games. Um, Surak really continues that snowball, right? Like when you're ahead and you're going to stay ahead with a Surak on the board. But I think that Nylea is probably a little bit better in more situations than a Surak is. It's interesting. Um, I have played against this mono green stompy deck online in Pioneer a few times, and every time that I've lost has been because Surak comes down on turn four, gives some creature that was on there, you know, sometimes a three drop Ronus haste, and they just beat me down. Sure. Um, so I, you know, I've been convinced that this card can be turned on an okay amount, you know, can be activated into creature form, can really dig in Pioneer. Why is it main board over this card, though? Because I, I feel like Surak is a little more aggressive and able to get in there faster. Why would you want maybe a slower, more value-based card? Because I, th- I think when you're ahead and you have a Surak down, then you're already ahead, right? Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to finish games off in, in ways that you might not with Surak out. But I think that when you're ahead, Nylea is also good. But when you're behind or at parity, Nylea is going to be better because she lets you draw for more cards, get more creatures out of your deck, cast them more cheaply. You can use all that mana you have available to you. If you're at a board stall, you can keep going wider around them while you have your indestructible, you know, five, six out. I think that's really good. Um, I just think that it's, it offers flexibility and late game power. And also if, uh, you know, let's say control creeps back up again, you want something that can help you recover from a sweeper in ways that, you know, other cards like Serac aren't going to do that for you. So I think it just offers a lot of flexibility and fits in the game plan in, in every way I can imagine. I don't know if she has as much of a space in the Devotion decks because Nylea has to compete with Vivian and Nyssa. It's a tougher battle. Um, you know, Nyssa's phenomenal. I don't think she's being replaced. Vivian might, you she might have a couple of Vivians because she's not awesome when you're behind. But I think that you know, like I said before, if you're ahead, keeps you ahead. If you're behind, catches you up, breaks parity. That's kind of the card I want to be playing on four in a deck like this. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me when I'm listening to you talk about this is the interaction between Nykthos and the activated ability. Because even though you could do the same thing with Duskwatch Recruiter um, at a cheaper mana cost, because it only costs two, I still think that the fact that this is indestructible and sometimes turns into a pretty big threat. I mean, five, six is big. So I think that that's pretty, pretty um, has a lot of potential in that sense as well. These decks aren't really my jam. So it's a little hard for me to like react too strongly to it, but it it did look a little clumsy to me at first, but I I think it's a powerful card and definitely being able to draw and filter your deck is important. So the card I talked about first was a card I excited about for modern. Shane's card seems like it's for Pioneer. Dave, what is the card you want to talk about? about? The card that I am going to talk about right now was picked by our patrons in the uh, the survey that we talked about earlier as the number one Theros Beyond Death card for Modern. People expect it to be great. I think it could be, but I have to be honest, I have no idea how to use this card properly. <laughs> and that card is Underworld Breach. So let's talk about it. Underworld Breach yep. is one generic mana and one red mana for an enchantment that says each non-land card in your graveyard has escape. The escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost plus 
exile three other cards from your graveyard. You may cast cards from your graveyard for their escape cost. Helpful reminder, reminder text there. Then the last line says, at the beginning of the end step, sacrifice underworld breach. So what does this card really do? What does it do? Well, in, in my mind, it's part of this august tradition of cards like Past in Flames and, wait for it, Yawgmoth's Will. Dave, when, when you when you when you put that in the notes, I was like, "What does that have to do with August? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's January. Um, it's August. <laughs> it's winter August. in this hemisphere, sir. Yes. Uh, and I know what you're saying. Yogmoth's will is one of the most powerful cards ever. Right? Sure. Sounds good to me. It's a good good card. My older brother told me that. But pretty much, I, I kind of think Underworld breaches too, as long as you enable it in the right way. Now, there. are are a lot of kind of kludgy and weird ways to enable it. The first one that has been circulating around online right now is that have, you can have Underworld Breach basically go infinite with everybody's favorite broken artifact, Grinding Station. This combo has been noticeably weakened by the ban of Mox Opal. I have not seen the math or the numbers crunched about what this deck does after that card is banned. I've heard that Mox Amber might be similar, but... Yeah, I think that you're totally right that that, you know, maybe this was their the one uh, pre band they wanted to make before Theros came into the format. They're like, we're good with Heliod and Walking Ballista, but we cannot let Underworld Breach and Mox Opal coexist. Run the simulations. I need at least five pivot tables that pivot into a different table that are going to show me how this card is not that broken in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that this this combination is is hard, right? So Grinding Station is a card that costs two and taps for a player to mill three. It also untaps whenever an artifact comes into play. So if you can get it out with an artifact that costs zero and taps to sacrifice somehow, like a Mishra's Bauble, you can, what? you can infinitely tap and untap Grinding Station, mill your whole deck away, and then potentially find a win con from there. Now, the math works out exactly. So what you're really doing here is building up a bunch of storm counts. And then hopefully, I guess you have grape shot in your hand or you have a way to bring get grape shot back from the graveyard and be able to cast somebody and kill, kill them that way. Definitely a, the type of combination that's been weakened with Mox Opal exiting the format. Like Zach said, maybe Emery plus Mox Amber is enough to get something like this going still. Uh, I first saw this in a post by user Academy Ruins on Reddit, by the way, just to give credit where I first saw it, um, not my design. Uh, Channel Fireballs also published an article where no less than Frank Karsten had some options for Pioneer with cards like Hidden Strings, Chronic Flooding, or Diligent Ex Excavator and Mox Amber. So a whole bunch of other kind of cards to help enable the mill and also kind of do things like that tap and untap your lands when different permanents come into play. I honestly think that Underworld Breach could be run in Storm, in Modern Storm, as yeah, a bit of a Past in Flames number five, or a hedge against the uh, Surgical Extraction type of effects if someone happens to be playing those, um, <laughs> so that someone can't take all your Past in Flames, because that's pretty important. Past in Flames, grab all of them? Wait, what, what is this card in here? Why is it only one of? What is this? Why is it foil? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> You're going to cut to it every time. <laughs> I mean, I, one thing that's interesting about this particular thought is like, the flashback cost of past and flames is actually kind of a big barrier to the turns when you want to go off with storm. And so if you happen to have a really stocked graveyard and have underworld breach out, being able to cast it for two and then going off with your rituals from there is actually yeah. kind of a big leg up as far as like the amount of resources you need to be able to go off. Now, 
Underworld Breach is not affected by Electromancer or Baral, so you can't lower the casting cost of it, but it still does lower the, the escape cost of everything else, I believe. Mm. Better double check the rules with on that one, but Ugh. but I still think that it, it could find a place like like that. What do you guys think? Well, <laughs> Shane's not sold on it, Dave. <laughs> no, th- no, this card's clearly designed to be broken, right? Like, I'm, I'm definitely sold on it doing something. I, th- I th- and I think the the big reasons for me are that you don't exile cards after they get escaped. Yes. So it's just, it's just like it's prime. It's just primed for weird loops and like busted things. I, I do think that people talk about escape like it's a fat f- flashback cost. Often, and we talked about this last week, or you guys talked about it last week. And not everyone's graveyard is just stocked with with cards, but there are a lot of ways to do that to get to get that value back. So, yeah, I think that there's going to be some some cool stuff happening, or maybe some uncool stuff happening. I don't I don't typically love decks like this, but I, I know some people do engage with Magic in a in a comboy way. So have some fun. I think that there's gonna there's always some kind of enabler for cards like this. And I think there'll be more in the future. So personally, we'll see. I think once again, combo is part of the format and has to exist. If it's too consistent, I won't like it. If it's too hard to hate, I won't like it. I really want, you know, not too small, not too big, not too cold, not too warm. Yeah, it's a real Goldilocks card for you, huh? Well, I got the truth. Yeah. So I think the bottom line for me is like, I don't know if any of the conditions for how it works really matter right now. Maybe it's good today. Maybe it's not good today. Maybe it's going to take a couple of years, but I think people will try to break this card. Is that Green Day? Yeah. I think it was on American Idiot. Yeah. Track five. Maybe it's good today. Maybe it's not good today. (laughs) But I think people will try to break it, and I believe that it will find a way. People will find a way to fuel it at some point because of basically a few reasons that are kind of the bottom line. This card only is two CMC, so it's super mana cost uh, friendly. It plays off of a, a classic abusable resource area in the graveyard. Its effect is super open-ended because it gives escape to every non-land card that's in your graveyard. So that means you could find a loop with a sorcery. You could find a loop with a creature. You could find a loop with a non-creature artifact. There's all kinds of different things that you can do. And the last thing is, like Shane said, when this card escape doesn't make cards go into exile, And so you really only just have to find one copy of your payoff card, and then you can loop it over and over and over again, potentially through counter magic, because if someone counters it, then you can just escape it again if you have enough resources. You know, people can do other forms of of interaction at instant speed and not be able to stop it because you can just cast it again, theoretically. So there's some redundancy and resiliency built in just because of the way the mechanic works. Perhaps final thought on this card. Do we think this or a card from the Heliod combo gets banned first? Hmm. Well, you know, my take is that I don't think Heliod's good enough. So I don't think they... I mean, across formats. We'll say across formats. I don't think... I still don't think Heliod's good enough to get banned ever. So we'll but see. But do you think this is? Well, okay. So I would choose this. Maybe three, okay. maybe two or three years from now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we just have to see. Is, has Canister been posting any decks with this? And how good do they look? What do the polls think? Yeah. Pull the polls. <laughs> Solidarity, my friends. I, I think this card has is has I'm gonna get broken written all over it. It's a question of when, I guess, would be the point. Terrific. Moving on to our maybe second tier or second podium for clicks to pick. We have Gallia, Jalea, Galicia of the Endless Dance. Red and a green. That's two mana. For a legendary creature satyr, two two. She has haste. Other satyrs you control get plus one plus one and have haste. Okay. 
Whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random. If you do, draw two cards. Zach, first I have to say, uh, the red-green mage inside me loves that you pick this. Mm. Uh, I also love the weird art of this card. She is so hyped. I love how hyped she is. She looks like someone who's having a really good time at Pitchfork. She's having a good time. There's wine and it's daylight. There is some really weird stuff in the background. Like you've never gotten day drunk on wine at like a Roman festival in the woods. Yeah, Pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, yeah, and the background is is uh, Jens Lackman on one stage and Boros on another. A few times, okay. So, Zap, you're going to have to sell me on it though as a card. Okay, so I think the first line of text that's well, the second line really that says other satyrs you control get plus one plus one and have haste. That to me is an italics. That is flavor text. That is not mattering to me as an individual. What is mattering is this other ability here. That is, when you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random. If you do, draw two cards. And this is cool to me for a few reasons. Number one, I think that it's cool for like, you know, our Tarka Red or really, you know, go fast red, green, wide decks to have a way to refill their hand. I like that. I like running this alongside Rabble Master. That's a cool image to me. I want to do that. But I like this card for Pioneer more than anything. Absolutely. And a really thing, a thing that I like and a thing that I've mentioned a few times is there's this thing I've heard to as like the scred problem, which is where your tier three deck needs like a one or two cards to get really good. And you get that card, but it turns out it enables like a whole busted thing. It's like Arkham's Astrolabe. I was real excited for for scred, but then it turns out it just means that like Urza and other decks just have really good mana. <laughs> turns out makes better decks better. <laughs> turns out if only it was a snow to activate, but we don't get into that right now. But because this card has a at random and it's discard cost, I think that's going to be cool for because I think it's going to allow it to, if it sees play anywhere, really shine in these like sort of, you know, bushwhacker, surge, dump your hand, play Tarka's command, type decks and pioneer. So the fact that you can't like, you know, consistently use it to discard cards that you want into the graveyard and enable things, but rather it's like, sure, I don't have a card at all. I'll draw two. This is terrific. Or like, yeah, ditch this land. Oh, two pieces of removal. Amazing. I think that the way they've templated this is really cool and intentional. And I, I'm i putting this as pick to click because I hope that this empowers the red-green archetype within Pioneer. I mean, I love the shell that you kind of put it into. Here's Zach, the one that with uh, the surge with the, the you know goblin experienced bushwhacker or whatever the name of that card is, along with um, Burning Tree Emissary and stuff like that. Seems like a great place to put this card. The other thing I would say really quick is you have to discard a card to make this work. I was about to correct myself. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It says you may discard a card, which I even said may, like I emphasized it because I got it when I read it, but yeah. not when I thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like the sort of thing where zero cards, lol, draw two. You do have to lose one. Yeah. So that is a real cost, and that thank you, Dave, for the correction. Absolutely. I ish, I'm the first. I just want to it be noted that I'm the first person to issue a correction. This this set review, not <laughs> Shane, which is a surprising upset. I, I had a uh, a correction about what you call a deck name, which is not really the same, but. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's power for it there, but you do need the ability to like have dead cards or like, oh, I have a cycling land. We're going to get rid of this, right? Stuff like that. Like the deck has to be built in a way where you can really get a little extra oomph out of this, but I think it's not very hard to put it in that red green shell. Yeah. Last thing I would point out is that you do not have to attack with Galia to get it to work, by the way. Three or more creatures, not whenever Galia and. Right. So it does not have battalion. It has a different thing that looks a lot like battalion. So just keep that in day mind. Drinking. If you have a whole bunch of, yeah, it has day drinking instead of battalion. It has bastion <laughs> instead of battalion or whatever. The, oh, Bastille. That's the band that would have been a pitchfork, right? Ooh. <laughs> um, July 14th. 
<laughs> Perfect. So I think that could be something that actually makes it work in like a tokens deck where you're kind of getting a bunch of creatures that are two for, you know, two two creatures for one card and then you attack with three of them you draw some extra cards and play them so i, I it's a cool card i think that the, the mana cost is right so i like it yeah i mean i wish it was one of those overstatted two like two drops because it is an rg it has so like haste I, I feel like it should be a three three with haste or something it, it nowadays for two you could run it with no other text <laughs> there's so much text shane i don't know in in one year when this is a linchpin of an oppressive satyr tribal deck, you will come, what, I guess to the podcast to say this is terrible? I, I guess no apologies are shooting me, right? I want it to work. I want it to be good. I think red-green in Pioneer especially is one of the decks that is sleeping just waiting for better mana for uh, enemy colors or allied colors rather. And so I think that, sure, add it to the pile of, of cool red-green cards to be considered. All right. Next. A weird pick for me, Shatter the Sky. Two white, white. It's a sorcery. Each player who controls a creature with power four or greater draws a card, then destroy all creatures. So it's the return of the four mana white wrath. So Modern has already had access to these effects, of course, with um, uh, Wrath of God, Day of Judgment, but Pioneer does not. The, the last uh, four mana white wrath printed in the standard, I believe, was Day of Judgment in uh, M12. So that's 2011. Uh, of course, we've had some multicolor wraths. We've had, you know, Kaya's Wrath, uh, white, white, black, black. We've we have Supreme Verdict in the format. Those we those have, have some upsides. Still, the, yeah, the wreckage is we not a wrath. It is a combat trick. So no wraths in Pioneer prevent regeneration. Then no, but regeneration is kind of outmoded text in general. A few things have it. Interesting, though, that they wouldn't include it on here then, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. Like you, like regeneration, I think they want to be deprecated. Like they, they, they're, no they're not adding it to new cards. And so I- Too often anyway. I thought, I thought they completely removed it. They completely removed it, and then they brought it back one time, and then they removed it again. So I, I wouldn't say never say never, but- yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of annoying. Like Lot of the Thrill does stink to face down. And uh, oh, sure. And like it takes a little bit to understand the rules work as well. Like it's a feel bad when you think you get the timing and then someone goes, No, the bolt doesn't work here. I'm going to call a judge. And you go, Oh, yeah. Hmm. So I think that people are really kind of hating on Shadow of the Sky. It's kind of landed without much hype, without much conversation, because I think it's because things like, you know, green cards get cantrips stapled on a counter spells. Uh, but white has a four mana wrath. With potential downside, uh, if the opponent controls a creature with four, power four or greater, they get to draw a card. But then again, so do you. That can be nice, right? People really are focusing on this drawback quite a bit, but I think they're overlooking how powerful a four-mana wrath in a single color can be. It's awesome, right? It's a single color wrath. You don't have to go into blue-white. You don't have to go into white-black. I think it's routinely going to be a, a nice little bit of card advantage because you can play the perhaps the big creature against uh, small creature decks and then maybe you get the card and they don't and you get the board stabilization along with it even if you don't i think it's fine to run a four mana sweeper we see how powerful supreme verdict is i mean black has the conditional stuff they have ritual of soot they have languish white gets to return to its roots a little bit and gets this powerful wrath so personally this is zach i like this card i like it a whole lot I like four mana rafts. I like board wipes in general. I, I think I really like a style of play where you wipe the board, possibly get a card from it, and then either play a threat of your own or know that your opponent has to take a while to rebuild. 
I think this is just really solid for me. Like, I understand that your opponent can sometimes draw a card as well, but like this interaction with the gods, I think it's really flavorful that the gods aren't destroyed and possibly draw you a card depending on their devotion at the time. Just a lot of flavor there. The EDH Zach is very into this card and would probably want it for his mono white Darien deck. But at a more competitive level, I don't know if I would ever run this, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of mono white, sort of grindy Heliod token based deck get there with a card like this and have the card draw really matter. I don't know if it's modern playable. I definitely think that's more Pioneer for me personally, but I like that Pioneer would get another board wipe like this and I'm excited to see what it can do to the format. I like board wipes and I want more of them. I guess my question is why? Like what? Because I'm deeply broken on the inside, Dave. What's your question here? We have a pretty good Wrath Rite and Supreme Verdict already. Uncounterable. Uh, not okay. It's multicolored. Mm. I mean, I'm just saying. Mm. Blue is a color that I don't want to run. Sure. So think about that. So the, the main thing is I'm trying to figure out like what deck wants to run Wrath that wouldn't be willing to stretch into blue, right? Because most... Mono White Gideon Tribal? Mono White Gideon Tribal Control? Like, yes. I mean, Dave, save it for after the podcast. We're going to get rich off this one. Yeah. Okay. We're going to, we're going to submit this to goldfish and they're just going to get us all the <laughs> yeah, for their million dollar deck contest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think that one area that we are kind of ignoring are the en enchantment fans. So if you have a lot of enchantment based removal, you have, like Zach said, you have indestructible things like Heliod. Maybe you are running a bunch of the Gideon Planeswalkers that aren't active during the Wrath. And so this enables you to stabilize, clear the board, take over with your Gideon Planeswalkers. Maybe you're getting some advantage off of your enchantments that are on the board. I think that it fits into a style of deck that a lot of people want to be good without having to do multicolor, or maybe they want to run, let's say, white-green, because you're the crazy people, and they don't want to have to go into to white-blue right now just to run the sweeper. So I think that it just lets people focus on a, either a single color or not be Azorius and have access to a Wrath, and I think that it, one, also gets people back to what white is supposed to be good at, right, which is unconditional yeah. cheap Wrath. Yeah, I mean, I'm into that for sure. And I, I definitely am no brewer, so I could be wrong. It's just hard for me to imagine. I mean, you know, we've been looking at at modern for forever. Yeah. Right. And modern doesn't have that many decks that want to run wrath anyway, you know, I mean, that aren't blue, blue, white. And so it's hard for me to imagine one in pioneer that wants to run wrath that isn't blue, white as well. So, but look, I mean, I think it, I, I have a little bit of like, um, cognitive dissonance around this card too, just because I feel like the upside, even if you draw a card off of it and your opponent doesn't, is kind of okay. But you love drawing cards. I do love drawing cards, but at the same time, I'm also looking at cards like like Fumigate. I put in the notes and was like, I know this costs five, but if I kill a bunch of creatures with this, at least I gain life and stabilize a little bit more. And so, and also there's a whole bunch of upside from Settle the Wreckage that you guys are kind of not not recognizing either because settle exiles cards without targeting sure and so you can targets a player though you're right it targets a player it just doesn't target the creatures so i think that there's there's upside to that too and i just one i'm having a hard time figuring out where this fits into a bunch of different things that actually have marginal upsides yeah i mean i like that you don't settle is a good card i'm not here to argue that it's not but 
people will hold back creatures and people can play around to settle ultimately. You, you can't play around a board wipe, right? I mean, I guess you can not play creatures into it, quote unquote. But when the creatures are on the battlefields, you can't play around those creatures getting wiped. So I get what you're saying. And like, it does get creatures that are indestructible or other things like that. But Soul Flare is on my mind a lot. No, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think Always that. on my mind. Ooh, baby. So I think ultimately what it comes right down to is that a card like this can exist in an environment alongside Settle because they fill two different holes. Yeah, I agree with that. Two different molds, really. Settle's always going to be a two of, right? If there's a deck that wants to play this card, it's it's probably going to be as a four of because it's mono white or because it's white green. Like Show I said, me. if you're in white black, I think there's a good chance you're going to want to run Kaya's Wrath, even though the the mana cost is very difficult. But um, yeah. if you're white blue, you're probably going to want to run Verdict. But if you're white black or white red, white white, here you are. Yeah, I just think I just think that I like what this card says, perhaps even more than I think what it might do. I just like that Wizards is saying. I mean, I don't like that they're saying, here's your four mana white wrath with with a potential drawback. But I do like that they're saying, hey, we're going to give white a four mana white wrath. We're going to start maybe costing things a bit more aggressively than they were in the past. We need to give white some power back. And I think this is one way to do it. I think that makes a ton of sense. So one last card to talk about deeply before we we get going from here uh, is Clothis, God of Destiny. My old friend Clothis. Clothis. Yeah, that's right. Me and Clothis, we were in college together. We drifted apart. But every once in a while, I'll see them around or get a text and I go, you know what? Clothis is all right. Yeah, you you were hanging around with Xenagos too much. and Ugh, I mean, I don't want to talk about those days. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Clothis kind of stopped calling. Reveling. Yeah, yeah. The great revel. I know. Uh, so Clothis costs one red-green, and it is indestructible, like all of the gods. It has that uh, if your devotion to red and green is less than seven, it is not a creature. And it says, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a land card, add a red mana or a green mana. Otherwise, you gain two life and Clothy steals two damage to each opponent. So I just kind of realized all the monocolored gods, they have a devotion requirement of five and the multicolored have seven. Yep. Okay, cool. That's that's pretty normal. That's the same as the old Theros was as well. And Clothis is a four or five uh, in creature stats. So I think this is a really weird card. Yeah. It rem- it's it's like a cool way to replace Xenagos because if you remember like out of the whole pantheon, the red green god, you know, Xenagos became that. I, I feel- well, there, there was the, the temple where there was an empty throne in the first Theros set. Mm-hmm. So we saw the red green temple, empty throne, temple of abandonment. Yeah. Does that make sense? It was called temple of abandon. Abandoned. That's not why. Because it was like having reckless abandoned. Or because it was abandoned. The English language is a mistake. Moving on. Maybe it was sort of double. So this kind of reminds me a little bit of like the second season of Lost when they started introducing other people who had been on the plane where they're kind of like... Mr. Echo is a gem. Exactly. Like season two of Theros opens and Heliod is like, hail and well met. Uh, <laughs> Clothus, nephew I've known for many, many years. Yes. God, <laughs> God of who has always been here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Story-wise, very, very strange, but it's a weird card. Oh, so Incredibly convenient. Yeah. Just standing right over here, we have this other god with, like, scales. Hands off frame. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in. Bring your scales. I think, it, I think this card is pretty cool and interesting, and it can do a few different things, right? So one is that it gives you this kind of interesting ramp moment where you can go from three to five. 
only really reliable in modern and not really in pioneer because you, it's pretty hard to get lands into your graveyard in pioneer, right? Yeah. You're running fabled passage and maybe a couple of other things to be able to get lands in there. And that's just really it. On the other side, it provides some cheap reach in the form of two life, two damage clause. So if you don't get rid of a card, then you get to nug somebody and that's pretty good too. So I think that Clothis is a really interesting card that can do a few different things. One is that it can ramp you kind of randomly from four mana to six mana because it costs three mana to play. And then it activates on the next turn, you will get to play another land to get you to four total mana. And then Clothis can kind of pop you up one more from there. So to five, really. Hmm. Let's do that math one more time. (laughs) Yeah. So on on turn four, you can have five mana. Yeah, yeah, it's turn four, four you can have five mana. Cool. So it's really only reliable in modern though, and not in pioneer because it's really hard to get lands into your graveyard in pioneer unless you're running f- all the fabled passages and maybe a couple other things to kind of mill lands into the graveyard. Might be worth it ultimately. It might not be for pioneer, but we'll have to see. You definitely get a lot more value off of fetch lands this way. The second thing that it does is that it gives you some cheap reach for three CMC and that form of that two life, two damage clause so that you get to exile a card. Sometimes it's a relevant card. Sometimes it's just any card that you get to exile from the graveyard that does this kind of like a little bit of damage every turn, regardless of what happens. And finally, I think it has pretty reasonable stats for the the CMC, but the problem is that the gold gods in Theros have a, have a, much harder time getting devotion turned on than the regular gods do where quite often they can turn on with one or two other permanents in play um clothes is going to take probably at least three other cards to be able to turn on and become a creature so i think it's a cool card in the sense that it's like a death right shaman right it's a little value here a little value there but the problem is i'm not quite sure where you would play it right the card could do a lot for mid-rangey stuff in Pioneer, but there's almost no way to enable the, the mana ability in Pioneer. And the card has some nice potential in like Jund in Modern, for example, where it's not bad to Blood Braid into, but that the but the full package probably doesn't have enough impact in Jund ultimately when you when you play it to make it worth it. So I think it's a really cool design, but I'm not kind of sure where it goes from there. No, totally. I think this card's cool, and like reading over it, there's a lot of text and a lot of relevant text, but it doesn't go until it's next turn because it's pre-combat main phase, right? So you, you can never really play it and then get the benefit unless there's some sort of weird flash build you have, in which case, good for you. But ultimately, maybe this card is some sort of Jun sideboard card or I think it has a power, right? And maybe it's in like a five-color Niv and Pioneer or something. And who knows? I think this card has a lot of potential and I wouldn't be surprised if it starts showing up. But right now I look at it and go, this isn't a card I would play. Who is going to play this card? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a cool design, but I, I don't think it does anything too great for its cost. Like, I think the devotion is just really high, right? So like the devotion being seven, I think makes it going to makes it exist as like a three mana enchantment that I'm, that I'm not sure people would run as is, but it's an indestructible enchantment in a lot of ways. And it's not too unlike a, a Karanos to me from the old Theros set. So, you know, Karanos, you would reveal the top card from your library and you could deal damage if it was uh, a non-land card. You deal damage to a creature or a player. So that's pretty flexible, right? But what, you know, what uh, Clothis is doing is saying, hey, I'm going to exile a card from your, from a grave from a graveyard 
And if it's not a land, which in Pioneer, it would typically not be a land, you get you get to gain life and deal two damage. So in some some ways, it's kind of like a little scoos type effect where you're controlling a graveyard and you're gaining some life and your opponent's losing some life. So that's pretty cool. Um, I think it, that's that's a neat effect. And incidental graveyard hate has proven valuable in Pioneer. Scoos is main decked in a, in a ton of decks. Yeah, and also it's like you get this down and you can start getting rid of your opponent's mono black uh mono black guys that come back from the graveyard or, or other things like that. Zach, um I think saying calling it out as something that could go into Niv in Pioneer is actually pretty interesting because there actually is no gruel card in most of the Niv deck lists right now. It looks like that's the guild that they have decided not to play, maybe. And I wonder if a grindy value-based card like this might fit into a grindy value-based deck like Niv. Yeah, it looks like some of them have Cinder Vines in the sideboard as, as an option. I love that card. You know, I love that card. Yeah, absolutely. We did it. We found its home. Order four now. Everybody, please send checks to, once again, 2121 Dive Down Lane, Chicago, Illinois. 60420. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> cool card. It scored pretty well on our listener survey, and but um, I, it just feels like it's somewhat powerful and somewhat cheap, and so maybe it'll somewhat find a home somewhere. Yeah, it's a cool card. I think it's it's very novel, and novelty is the name of the game when it comes to magic. That's right. All right, so those are our kind of deep dive cards from Theros Beyond Death. Um, of course, we had a few extra cards that we wanted to talk about. So we are going to try to do some lightning round spoilers of some other cards that piqued our interest. Not all of us might have something to say about each one of these, so we can try to get some more cards in, but let's go to the first one. Shane. All right. Thassa Deep Dwelling, three and a blue for a legendary enchantment creature, God Indestructible. Um, as long as your devotion to blue is less than five, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, <laughs> at the beginning of your end step, Exile up to one other target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. You can also pay three and a blue to tap another target creature. It's a 6-5, pretty good body. I think repeatable blinking is really cool for a lot of cards. Uh, the most interesting and probably potentially not all that playable combo is with Master of Waves, because when you blink Master of Waves, uh, state-based effects are not checked while he's being blinked or it's being blinked, so you just get a big old new batch of uh, elemental tokens and the old ones don't die. Sounds cool to me. Yeah, seems cool. The There's a Soul Hoarder deck in Modern right now in both Bant, mostly I think Bant, sometimes blue-white colors, and maybe this isn't there. I'm constantly like sort of surprised by what cards are in that deck. So hey, a, a free way to exile stuff. Exiles even if it's not a creature. We'll see. I think it could be something. All right, the next card on our list is Dryad of the Elysian Grove. <laughs> Two generic mana and a green mana for three CMC total. Enchantment creature Nymph, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types, and it is a 2-4. So this is a card that lets you do an extra land drop and is also Prismatic Omen on a creature. <laughs> yeah, seems okay. And it kind of seems like they're trying to sort of have a fixed Corsair of Crufix or something, or like an Oracle of Moldaya. You don't think this is better than Corsair of Crufix? Well, it's 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 different, right? Because you get the mana fixing. One's a Centaur, one's a Nymph. You're right, you're right. Yeah. So the additional land drop might end up not end up being that awesome on a, on a three drop. I mean, this is clearly an EDH card for one, right? I think this is EDH first. Constructed other constructed formats second. I think one of the reasons that Corsair is so good is that you get like a, a card advantage engine in green 
because you're playing the land off the right. top. And so that's that's something that's good about it. I think that this creature is very good. I think it will see some kind of play. I think it's designed, like I said, first for EDH, and we'll see if it comes into play in, in something like Pioneer or Modern. I mean, is this a card that ends up in something with Scapeshift or Valakut or something like that? Because I know that Prismatic Omen used to be run in that deck sometimes to just make all your lands into mountains. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not powerful enough, but... I don't know. I mean, it'll probably have some kind of home. It it's it doesn't it doesn't die to a lot of burn based removal, which is good. Um, you know, it, it black based removal, of course, will hit it. But I think there there's value to be had here. Next in the lineup, we have Idle on Obstruction, one and a white two mana enchantment creature spirit for strike for a two one, and this ability of loyalty abilities of planeswalkers your opponents control cost one generic mana more to activate i think this card's pretty cool i have sort of a secret love for hate bears and bears in general i my first deck on magic online when i first bought in was a quote-unquote budget mono white hate bears deck back in vile was like 50 cents online playing things like sarah avenger into play etc i think this card's cool We'll see if it's pushed enough. It is one-sided, and it only affects your opponents. It's a 2-1 first strike. We know that's historically a pretty good stat line. I like this card. I'd be excited to see it. I think Planeswalkers do need some more checks, and this one's not too oppressive while maybe still getting in there. I wish this was, this was a little bit better. Like I, I think it, the body is bad. It doesn't fly, so like it doesn't really go super well in like a Spirits deck. On the other hand, when this card pumps pretty well off of Lords. To be honest, if you have a 4-3 first striker... With a couple of lords in play, that's that's not bad, really. Sure. I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of like it's gotta be a situational sideboard card, right? And I think sideboards are only so large. And so uh, really 15 cards, right? Well, I, I guess you can have less. <laughs> <laughs> They're only so large, 15 cards. Uh and so I, I just don't I think planeswalkers have to be pretty ubiquitous, and of course they are. I just I just don't know where this comes into play. I think it's a it's a card that I think could have been pushed a little bit harder. I like that this is that Ren and Six is like, sure, I'll pay one and just I'll minus and play one colorless to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Idolon, sorry. Bye. Bye. Yeah, two, two one. Why? Yeah. I don't know why they made it two one either. It seems it seems a little fragile in that sense for sure. Because they hate White's had it too good for too many years. And now red <laughs> is remotely playable. So whatever. It's because white it's your turn. Now. It's because this is a ghost of an elvish archer, is why. Ooh, there's no elves on Theros. Oh no. All right. The next card that, that uh, I wanted to put on the list is Escape Velocity, which is an aura that costs a single red. And it says Enchanted Creature gets plus one plus oh and has haste. And then it has an escape cost of one red exile two cards. So this isn't a great card. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about it. But the entire set, I've been waiting for a card from this Theros set to be able to put into my Boros Heroic slash Feather deck, and there's nothing. There's no Heroic cards that are close to being good enough to make it into the deck. There's no combat tricks that are good enough to be able to make it the deck. And so maybe, just maybe, this is a card that might be in there. It's cheap, but it doesn't cantrip, which is too bad. But what it does do is put a little bit of card advantage or a little bit of potential for for the ability to use the graveyard into the deck, which it does. Which Boros does, 
does have a little bit, but not in any kind of big way. So it has Dreadhorde Arcanist already. It has Feather, which kind of loops things out of the graveyard. Maybe this is something that we could try as a two of to be able to kind of give a little bit extra to the deck. Also, there are eight creatures in the Boros Feather deck that already have haste, but... <laughs> the case gets weaker and weaker every second. I know, <laughs> but if you throw this on a Dreadhorde Arcanist out of your hand or you throw it onto a Feather... Maybe now we're talking. You have some extra mana. You're attacking in with a four-four flyer or a two, you know, a two-three guy that casts some spells. It feels like there's a little bit of utility there, and I really, um, just really wanted a card out of this set to be able to go into to feather. I also really wanted to keep an eye on escape cards that had a low mana cost and a low card commitment because this is a card that's just going to be able to be reused over and over again as your creatures die. And so I think that's something to keep in mind as well. Sounds good. Let's talk a little bit about Thassa's Oracle. Blue, blue for a Merfolk Wizard, uh, one, three. When Thassa's Oracle enters the battlefield, you look at the top X cards of your library, where X is your devotion to blue, but up to one of them on top of your library, the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. Here's the interesting part. If X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. Wow. Very, very Mm -hmm. novel win condition here. Okay. So in some eternal formats, what that means is you can do some interesting things like, you know, like a hermit druid, which spiked last week. Right. So you're like, you run no basics in your, in your library. You activate hermit druid, you mill over your whole library. And therefore X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library. And you win the game. There are some other cards uh, that also combo with this, but does this combo with anything relevant in modern or pioneer? That's the question. So I have a card that it combos with in uh, mo- in pioneer in modern, actually not pioneer, and that is actually underworld breach and grinding station. So how many did you buy, Dave? So that's one of this is one of the cards that people have been throwing around as a as a win condition for that deck to be able to kind of put this out after you grind through your whole deck and have a couple of mana left over. Now again, harder to do without Mox Opal. But um, we'll kind of see where that where that lands. Yeah, the the blue blue is a little bit rough, but I think that there are it's it's a it's a novelty win con. I think it's cool. I think that there's going to be probably something that this works with, and uh, it's good to keep your eye on. The card I want to talk about last is Gravebreaker Lamia. Gravebreaker, which is four and a black, so it's crazy expensive for an enchantment creature snake. Lamia, whatever Lamia is, uh, and it has it is a four four that has lifelink, and it says, "When Gravebreaker Lamia enters the battlefield, search your library for a card, put it into your graveyard, and then shuffle your library." Very quickly, Wikipedia defines Lamia as a woman who became a child eating monster after her children were destroyed by Hera, who learned of her husband Zeus's tryst with her. Oh, so you know Greek mythology. Very woke. There you go. Uh, the last line of text on Gravebreaker Lamia is spells you cast from your graveyard ca- cost one generic less to cast. Look, this card is expensive and it looks bad, but this card is an entomb on a creature. And I don't know the last time we saw an entomb effect. Um, and so I feel like there's definitely has to be some kind of potential in a card that lets you search up any card from your deck throw it into your graveyard and potentially have it get a little bit cheaper to cast when you pull it back out of your graveyard. Now, traditionally in tomb was for reanimator 
strategies and reanimation effects are not super prevalent in either modern or pioneer for that matter but there are maybe some some combo horrific things that you can do with some of the more expensive ones and maybe this is just kind of a linchpin of a deck that kind of holds the ground and then does something big at the end and uses lamia as kind of a a way to uh to pull the win condition into a place where they can actually use it for me, the five mana cost is just too much. Yeah. If it had some sort of cost reduction, and like I understand that getting a card into your graveyard is good, and like one you want is even better. But I just worry that five black is too many. I would love if Shane could prove me wrong here. Shane, please prove me wrong. I bought. Oh no! I bought I thirty copies. Shane, nothing good to say about this. I, I took out a risky home loan. Shane, I don't have a home. Yeah, I love the Stink Lamia. Cool creature type. <laughs> very very cool thank you zeus i just can't get over the entomb and i feel like someone's gonna figure out how to do something good with it but we'll see double atb triggers or something yeah all right last quick take i think before we move on to the wind down i think this card's cool fruit of tizarus single black mana sorcery target player loses two life has an escape cost of three and a black you exile three other cards from your graveyard and so Okay, of course, this goes with my what I say every episode is that when we have better allied mana, we're going to see a red-black aggro deck that's even better than the ones we have now. I would not be surprised for something like this to go into some kind of, let's say, red-black burn, red-black prowess. Is there a world where you would run this in a mono-black shell in Pioneer even? I would not because it's not you're going to get more damage out of your cards um, in other ways. This is basically like one card maybe worth four points of damage, and you're hoping to get more than four out of your other cards. Yeah. I love the idea of this being like, hey, maybe this goes in a mono black or mono black, in a red prowess plus plus this is like a splash or something to be able to make it. I mean, there's that card cling, cling to dust that's exile a card, draw a card at instant speed for black, which also could be like a prowess trigger card potentially. Um, I feel like both of these are interesting just because they are cards that do a little bit of incremental damage for low mana cost and medium size escape costs that seem kind of like unexplored um kind of space for a little bit of card advantage in decks that typically don't have access to it so maybe there is a you know every once in a while bump in the night burn gets popular in in modern and so maybe fruit burn of tisserus burn gets uh popular in pioneer at some point tropical burn Tropical burn. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Oof. So with that, your guide to Theros is complete. Only buy the cards we talked about. Do not buy the cards we didn't talk about. No, jokes aside, Theros is a big set. We had some takes on it. Hopefully we were able to help you maybe learn more, maybe help ourselves along the way. We'll see. I'm excited. I Like I said, I pre-ordered for the first time ever. Can't wait to be burned or maybe rewarded. Zach, I also uh, pre-ordered two Nylias just to put my money where my mouth is <laughs> while we were recording. <laughs> listeners that is two live asterisk orders on the air you can't beat that with that being said we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we have some exciting results from the dive down nation's poll of what to expect for theros stay with us Our listeners, our patrons, members of the Dive Down Nation are amazing, hardworking, kind, big-hearted, handsome individuals. And because of this, they have come together and polled one another 
And really what they think about Theros and how its playability is in Modern and Pioneer. And once again, thank you to KZ for spearheading this effort. He's done it the last couple of times and uh, appreciate it that the, we have this very professional looking PowerPoint presentation of all the results of the survey here. Yeah, KZ made a PowerPoint. I was looking at it and it's like, are these like the brand notes from Wizards for how to make Theros PowerPoints? It's very good looking. You got some brand assets. This is sick. Yeah, KZ, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I work at a design studio. Hit me up. Let's talk. How did you get the Valorant font? Amazing. All right. So we have a couple of pieces of data that we're going to talk about from their survey. The first one is, you know, the members of the nation decided to use our sleeve, believe, heave scale to be able to um, to rate the cards that they that they had in the survey. So I think what we're going to do first is start with a slide that KZ gave us called the safest bets. These are the cards that received no heave votes for modern or pioneer. So we have a list of five cards for Modern and a list of five cards for Pioneer that were no heaves that the Dive Down Nation thinks are the most safe cards. That's surprising. So there was exactly five with 0% heaves. I guess or so. Was the, top, the top five? I yep. mean, I guess it has to be. I guess it's, I think, I think it's exact. So. Exact, if you will. Although a few, a few of these have overlapped. So if you look at Modern, the number one card on the zero heaves list is Ox of Agonis, followed by Heliod Suncrowned. Uro, Crocia, Croxa, Croxa, and finally Dryad of Elysian Grove. I'm a little bit surprised by that one because we, we weren't. I don't feel like we were super hot on Dryad. Yeah, the other one are the other ones on this list. I feel like are the four solid mythics of the set, and they are four of the yeah. cards we talked about on the last spoiler episode. And I definitely feel like all of these cards are going to find a home somewhere, some more angrily than others. Um, Ox is the one that I feel like is the most on the bubble. I think that's the most specialist card, but it's the card I'm the most excited to play. Oh, yeah. I uh, I started with two, and I've moved to three pre-orders of Ox. It is also worth noting that Heliod, Uro, Kroxa, and the Dryad had zero heaves in Pioneer as well as Modern. They were not the top in their format. Some of them were, but not all of them. Worth pointing out that these cards for Modern are also hyped for Pioneer, even if not the top cards that are hyped for Pioneer. Yeah. Hmm. So anyone want to take a so look at the Pioneer list? Yeah, so we have in Pioneer our 0% heaves, meaning cards that people think are going to see some kind of play. Clothis, God of Destiny. Uh, Kunaros, the Hound of Aethrios. That's the, what is it, Death Touch, Lifelink. It has Vigilance, Vigilance Menace, Lifelink, and says okay. creature cards in That's graveyards like the can't, cage be, type yeah, thing. can't be played. Players can't cast spells from graveyards. It's a cool card. I did not want to talk about it, as I'm sure there are people who have better, more well-informed thoughts. None of us are really black-white uh, attrition players, so... I think it's just a good card, personally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's clearly very good. It's a good card. I, I wouldn't heave it, so I don't know. It's definitely in the sleeve zone for me. I mean, excuse, excuse me, the believe zone for me. Yes. Tectonic Giant. Zach, you talked about that last week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did listen to the episode. Uh, Soul Guide Lantern, that's what, like the... Uh, it's the Relic of Progenitus, basically. The fixed relic e type thing? Yeah, let me read you the text of, of Soul, Soul Guide Lantern. Oh, please do. Oh, God, Dave, I want nothing more. Because we haven't talked about this card yet. So it is a one converted mana cost artifact. And it says, when Soul Guide Lantern enters the battlefield, exile target card from a graveyard. It has an activated ability that says tap, sacrifice, soul guide lantern, exile each opponent's graveyard. And then finally it says one 
colorless, tap, sacrifice Soul God Lantern, draw card. So basically, it's separated out the exile ability from the draw ability of Regular Progenitus, and it gives you a little bit of a bonus where it has a come into play effect where you get to get rid of a single problematic card when it comes into play for one CMC. What do you think about this in the context of other cards that we have available to us in Pioneer? You know, we do have uh, Tormod's Crypt, we have Rest in Peace, we have Gravedigger's Cage. Zach, you've played some Relic of Progenitus in your day. What do you what do you think about this one? Hmm. As a fit for Pioneer. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. This card does not replace Relic in Modern. I like it for Pioneer. I think that the power level is there and that it can draw cards sometimes and, you know, is useful on other occasions. I really like that they are printing more hate cards like this in a set. Sometimes we'd see a card like this come a set or two after Theros, and people will complain about Escape being really busted, but the card is here. It's not a set after, it's in the set. So I hope this is a precedent going forward, and we see more of these Escape Valve cards in the set. This is cool. I would not be surprised to see it see a lot of play. Relic is a card that was on the fringes for a long time, and then people figured out that it was really good at what it did. So maybe, you know, this card takes a little bit to catch on, but I would not be surprised to see this become just sort of a sideboard mainstay for a certain kind of Pioneer deck. Yeah, I mean, it does a lot of little things. I like that it has an ETB. Or like, let's say like I'm an Uro deck that's not really try- not getting a lot of value out of the graveyard other than just having the, the Uro in it. So this comes in, it gets that Uro out of there, and then you can you can cycle it for the one mana and you get to draw a card. So it replaces itself. That's pretty good. I I think that I generally like Tormod's Crypt just on rate. Um, it's that, you know, it costs nothing. That's really valuable, but this does a little bit more for the mana cost. So I think there's pros and cons to either, which is what you want in magic. You want a little bit deck building tension. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So the next uh, c- category that we have to talk a little bit about are the cards that had the largest change in whether people believed in them or not between pioneer and modern. So cards that were much more liked in pioneer than modern were dream trawler, Satessan champion and tectonic giant. Techie G. I'm surprised by the Satessian champion. I guess it's just like, it's too expensive for modern or something. Yeah, I think that the mana cost is just a little bit prohibitive. And also, you know, this card just dies to lightning bolt in in modern where you don't have as easy access to that in Pioneer. Sure. I mean, three mana in modern, you really can't have a creature do nothing. Like you can have Rebel Master where it makes a token. You can have like a Magus. Like there's plenty of stuff where it does something or threatens something. This really does require a pretty big setup. It's like it's good. And I would not be surprised to see some sort of enchantress and pioneer based upon Sessian champion, but I don't think that this take a turn off. Hope you don't lose in moderns where you want to be. Yeah, the champion reminds me a little bit of like a monastery mentor, right? Where you really need to untap with like a three mana card. I don't know. Sure, this one survives. um, Wild slash. Yeah, it does. It does. It does survive wild slash. You got that right. Thank you, Shane. Uh, Also, bone crusher. Stomp. Can I talk about Dream Trawler for a second? Please do. So Dream Trawler is um, a really cool card. It's two white, white, blue, blue. So it is six total mana cost. It is a three, five with flying lifelink. And it says whenever you draw a card, it gets plus one plus O until end of turn. Whenever it attacks, you draw a card and it has an activated ability that says discard a card. Dream Trawler gains hexproof until end of turn. Tap it. It's sort of like an Ojitai 
a bit. Yeah, is that you, Ojutai? Yeah, exactly. A little bit like Pearl-like Ancient? Yeah, but it has that activated ability where you can discard a card immediately to give it Hexproof, where Why not? you can kind of keep this up and then draw a bunch of extra cards, and it attacks as a 5-5. Five, five. Um, and it has Lifelink, which Ojutai doesn't have, which kind of made me do a double take on this as far as being like, can I stop running Lyra in my sideboard in blue-white control or what? <laughs> is this the order yeah. I need? Yeah, if this card did not draw on... Oh, when it attacks. So I thought I thought it ETB'd and drew a card, no, so we're going to drop all this. <laughs> yeah. Once again, Pioneer over Modern Shane. Yeah. So Cloud Blazer is better than this. Cloud Blazer is better than this? It's a 5-5 no, five, five Life Linker when it attacks. And it has Hexproof. <laughs> angry letters are being written as we speak. <laughs> no, it's a cool card. I think it has some chops for sure as a finisher. Yeah. And there's Tectonic Giant, which uh, Zach talked about last week. But I would love to verbatim say what I said last week. So everybody. Yeah, just, just run it back. And then finally, the last category we we're going to look at was the cards that were much more highly rated in Modern than Pioneer. And hey, it's two of my spoilers from the last two episodes. It's Ox of Agonis and Underworld Breach. They save the real broken stuff for for me in modern. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, red cards, Harburger. Dave can get broken cards as a treat. Yeah. As a treat. Dave, graveyard cards as a treat. <laughs> yeah. Ox rules, underworld breach, probably rules in a way that I don't like. So. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the time we have to go through the survey. Again, we just want to say we really appreciate everybody who took the survey and contributed these uh, these rate to these ratings and also to Kevin for putting this deck and wonderful survey together. Gentlemen, I wish I was with us two weeks in a row, but you know, work happens, but that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We appreciate it. it makes us feel good about ourselves. Helps people find us. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, pick our brain about something in Modern Pioneer, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word. You can email us uh, thedivedown at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Reddit. We're there every week. If you'd like to support the show, uh, you can join our Patreon. We talked about it this at the beginning of the episode, but joining at any tier gets you access to the super secret Slack server. Uh, we love chatting there sometimes more than we should. Um, mm. You can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down. Of course, a shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring us. You, again, you can sign up to Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word, 15% off your first three months of renting magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Flood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and go beyond death.